the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 220. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... It's Ed, again? And, <laughs> back, you mean? Yeah, you returned. Not again, yes. And this is Stella. And as, as uh, unfortunately, as, as Stella pointed out the last episode, I did not fire Ed. I guess that's not unfortunately, but fortunately. Hmm, that's better uh, to say. So Ed, Ed is <laughs> nice, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, so, Dustin didn't fire me, but he will later. Okay. <laughs> so we are covering the weeks of March 12th through April 1st. It's been three weeks since we've had an episode, and we have a little bit of news. We have four books to cover, Greater Gotham and, of course, The Bat Signal. So let's just jump into news. The first thing we have is on March 15th, it was announced that uh, Dick Grayson will be getting an omnibus for his time as Agent 37. Um, it was revealed that uh, Nightwing, the entire Grayson storyline, which will include Grayson's number, Grayson issues number one through 20, Secret Origins number eight, Grayson Annuals one through three, Grayson Futures End number one, and Robin War number one and two are all going to be collected for a, a omnibus called Grayson the Super Spy. Uh, it'll come out October 24th for a nice salty price of ninety nine ninety nine. So if you are a huge Dick Grayson fan or you enjoyed him as Agent 37, look forward to that come October. I could think of many other things that I'd rather see get the omnibus treatment than the Grayson run, by the way. I would agree. I think part <laughs> of the reason that's happening is just because Tom King's is, you know, his work is so relevant with, uh, the books right now, it feels like sometimes they give uh, these, you know, the omnibus or what are the uh, Batman no, Nowhere? Yeah, the absolutes. Or, yeah, yeah, the absolutes. It feels like they're doing that for certain for certain creators to kind of like, hey, we're gonna you know release this, which is gonna get you some extra money type situation. Oh yeah, um, because, I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah, for sure. because it, it feels like there's certain books where, like, obviously, like Batman Hush, even though Jeff Loeb is an executive over at Marvel at this point, uh, he clearly is still getting checks from DC. Jim Lee um, still definitely getting checks from DC. That's true. But uh, the, the big thing is it just feels like there are certain ones that they seem to, you know, favorite more than others. Um, we're starting to see a lot more Chuck Dixon stuff suddenly start getting tr- released in trades and things like that, which conveniently, you know, he's going to be writing Bang Conquest next month in May. So I think uh, they're possibly sometimes to deals, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, hey, we'll only give you X amount royalty, but, you know, we'll, re- we'll re-release some of your stuff. I think that's definitely what happens because yeah. the timing is always way too coincidental. All right. Also on March 15th, uh, it was announced that Jock will be filling in on All-Star number nine. Uh, apparently, uh, what happened was the original solicitation had Franco, uh, Francisco Francavella, who's, who's been doing the backups, as well as Afua Richardson uh, as the main penciler for the main story. But it turns out that Richardson did something to his shoulder, and in the process, he was unable to do the art for issue number nine. So instead, Jacques will be doing it and he will be the artist for that issue that's releasing in April. So look forward to Jock coming on All-Star Batman. 
Jock and Snyder like working together. So that's very true. Yeah, no problems there. I like Jock as an artist too. So I'm totally cool with this. All right. So then the uh, the next bit of news we have comes on March 20th. Duke Thomas, the first daytime Gotham Bat, um, mm-hmm. as uh, promotion for All Star Batman number eight. Uh, Scott Snyder gave two interviews with Comic Book Resources and Newsarama. Uh, talking about a, a variety of different things regarding the issue, but f- specifically, he was talking about. Well, before we get into the Duke Thomas stuff, uh, he further confirmed that the next story arc will last four to five issues, and we'll have Raphael Albuquerque as the solo artist for the entire arc. The arc is entitled "The First Ally," and while the solicitations are trying to keep the identity of the said ally a mystery, Snyder has commented that it will explore Batman or. We'll explore Alfred's past with MI6, and it's fairly safe to assume that the first ally they're referring to is Alfred Pennyworth, which I have to say, if the idea is that the villain is the first ally, <laughs> Alfred is the villain, this is just further cementing <laughs> every thought we've ever had about Scott Snyder not liking Alfred. I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think he'll make Alfred the villain. Um, I think that he will absolutely go out of his way to make us all think that he makes Alfred the villain for a couple issues. Does that make sense? I oh, mean, yeah. Yeah, I can see um, that. <laughs> just to mess with us. It was like the whole uh, death of the family when after it was over. It was like, of course I wasn't going to kill Alfred. I mean, I, I acted like I was for seven months, but I really wasn't going to. Um, I don't think he'll make him a villain, but I could definitely see him having a bit of fun with us all. All right. And then the art coming after that will feature Sean Murphy's art, and Snyder calls it the closest thing that I could do to a dark Knight returns. If that's what they're going for, then obviously Murphy's a great choice, but it feels like this could be a continuation of that futuristic version of Batman that we saw Murphy also do the art for in detective comics, number 27 short story that Snyder and Murphy both did. So uh, that's most likely what's happening now in, in also regards to that, uh, we were told before that Murphy was coming on to the book and it was going to be the last story arc of All-Star Batman, and then they were going to wrap the series up. Snyder is actually on Twitter said that he will continue to do All-Star Batman as long as everybody keeps scooping up and buying it because he's enjoying what he's doing. He loves working with a variety of different artists, which I'm sure doesn't make Capullo feel great after working with the guy for five years. All cheating, he's on him, on. cheating on his boy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then uh, the other big elephants, uh, the other big elephants in the room is uh, what's coming up with Capullo? What are we? Gonna, when are we going to learn about it? And when will Duke get a code name? Uh, obviously, those questions did arrive in both of those interviews, and it seems Duke will solidify his standpoint in Gotham in All Star Batman number nine. Snyder has also acknowledged that the long overdue need for him to get a code name, and apparently. He might be getting one in the close future, maybe even in issue number nine itself. Not only that, but Duke might be Gotham's first Bat family member to have a more have more morning habits. As Snyder says that similarly, all of the other Gotham heroes go out at night. Duke is starting to go out by the day. So uh, in, in regards to that, the backup of uh, the cursed wheel is going to be wrapping up and will be also hinting at some of DC's major mysteries going around now. Um, obviously we don't know if it'll tie into what's going on with the button, but, uh, we also know that there's another event that was just announced, which we'll talk about in a second, um, called dark days. Um, and then that also leads into Capullo. So regarding the Capullo reunion, um, it seems that it will feature a revolve around the bat family, uh, but also help crystallize Duke's role within the bat family. 
so we have excerpts from both interviews if you want to check it out on the website uh, and to learn more about what's coming up. But that's basically the gist. Um, as we're recording this, uh, we are actually recording this on April 1st. And Snyder and Capullo are actually going to be announcing their new project on April 2nd at Fan Expo in Dallas. So by the time you're listening to this, if you go to the website and you head and and look at the comic news, we will have the announcement of what they are actually working on. But speaking of that, leading into the uh, Capullo event is this project that was announced on also on March 20th called Dark Days. And this this is a small event that is going to start off in June with a one shot. It's going to start off in it's two one shots, one coming out in June, one coming out in July. The first issue is called Dark Days: The Forge. It's coming out on June fourteenth. Uh, the and then the second one is Dark Days: The Casting, and that's coming out on July twelfth. If you if you put together forge and casting, you probably have an idea that we're talking about some sort of metal, which is what the Capullo project has been rumored to deal with some sort of metal DC metal, not metal music. If that's what you're thinking, but more of like steel type situation. We don't know what it has anything to do with, but for the longest time, there has been rumors online that whatever their project is, has to do something to do with metal. That's so weird. Like, what a it weird is. rumor to have. It, it is. has to do with metal. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a weird rumor. Yeah. Very specific rumor, too, isn't it? Like, yes, very specific. Okay. So the uh, the one-shots will be written by Scott Snyder and James Tynion IV. Uh, Dark Days is a multiverse-spanning event coming this summer. Not only does it have two major Batman writers spearheading, but also leading the art include Jim Lee, John Romita Jr., and Andy Kubert, in an effort by DC to bring back artists to the forefront of the storytelling uh, from the official uh, announcement. It says that art like this demands an epic story. Dark days uh, puts itself in a mystery that traces all the way back to when I started Batman. I've hinted at them over the years with Easter eggs and clues. This is a mystery that literally begins at dawn at the dawn of man and spans generations of heroes and villains. and ultimately leads to huge revelations about the past, present and future of the cosmology of DC. I couldn't be more excited for Dark Days. It's the prelude to the event we've been developing for years. You're referring to would be whatever Capullo is involved in as well. So June, July event probably. And then August will probably be the kickoff for the event, which means which makes sense because that means we'll be they'll be able to promote the heck out of it when they're at San Diego. So I probably bet we'll have to be covering this on the cast, I bet. Yes, we probably will be. And it will be taking the place of Dark Knight 3, which will be wrapping up maybe May. by the yeah, it's supposed to wrap up by May, so yeah. Well, well, it's not get over. Supposed to. Helpful. It's not get overly helpful. Yeah. So that's that's dark days. I mean, I, there's not a whole lot of information. There's there's some it's cover almost none on purpose. I think. Yeah, and I think it, it's actually kind of interesting because I mean, the cover art for the first issue, The Forge, was done by Jim Lee. It shows a giant Batman statue with Batman standing close to it, and these weird robotic creatures with strange tentacles all over the place, uh, shining bats, bat signals down at the ground, kind of like searchlights or something. So, I mean, like who knows what in the world is going on, but it, it's, it sounds interesting one way or the other. It's got metal in it probably. All right. So the next bit of news on March 21st, on March 21st, the solicitations were released for the month of June. Um, there is not a ton of, 
overly new news hmm. per se. Um, but uh, the biggest event is obviously Dark Days, The Forge, which we just talked about. Uh, we also got the full details for the Looney Tunes special, which is Batman and Elmer Fudd. Um, 40 pages long and a cover price of four ninety nine. Um, as for the Bat books, June will finally be bringing the Joker and Riddler to King's Batman run with art by Mikkel Janin. Detective will continue rotating the focus of the story arcs as the intelligence brings Azrael to the forefront in Batgirl. Carlini, who has been previously who has previously drawn Babs in the New 52, is currently doing a fine job over in Green Arrow. Will be taking over pencils over in Batgirl. Raphael Albuquerque will continue on All-Star Batman number 11 after also doing number 10, which I said, like Snyder said, we're, we're probably looking at a full four to five issues. Uh, Harley Quinn, Batgirl, and the Birds of Prey get new arcs while Blockbuster continues over in Nightwing and Rise of the Demon over in Batman Beyond. Wrapping up, we have Who is Artemis in Red Hood and the Outlaws and Many Arms of Death in Batwoman. In greater, the greater DC books will see a majorly political plot coming to Justice League. In our duties, we'll see the return of Francis Manipool in Trinity and Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira, who have been working on Detective Comics, will be taking over Suicide Squad, uh, starting with issue number 20, as the squad tries to elect a new leader. Spinning out of the Lazarus contract crossover that will be wrapping up in Deathstroke number 20, the Titans will also be facing a leadership issue with art by Kenneth Rockford, who has recently worked on Red Hood and the Outlaws number eight. So we have the full breakdown of all of the books uh, and th- that are coming you know, from Batman books, Greater Gotham books, Greater DC books. Um, so you can take a look at all of those. Also, just as a heads up, if you are a Batgirl fan, you should probably check out uh, Supergirl in the next couple months because there's a story arc that's that just kicked off actually in the Batgirl annual, um, but it will continue in the pages of Supergirl with Batgirl teaming with Supergirl. And if you're a Suicide Squad fan over in Action Comics number 981 and 982, Suicide Squad will be appearing in those issues. So that is what you can expect come June. All right. And then also uh, the, there was new collected editions announced. These are trades and hardcovers. Uh, we have a full list of all the trades and all of the hardcovers that are coming out. Uh, the the notable things to just to briefly touch on is uh, we will be seeing the first trade paperback from Mother Panic. Uh, we will also see some old older trade paperbacks being re-released, uh, including Nightwing Volume 6, To Serve and Protect, which happens to be done by Chuck Dixon. Uh, then also Robin Volume 4, Turning Point, which also happens to be by Chuck Dixon. Hmm. Uh, coincidentally, that's that's amusing since I was just actually saying that they, yeah. do, they do that. Um, over in the hardcovers, uh, Batman Noir, there's going to be one for Dark Victory. Uh, that's going to be $39.99, 392 pages. Um, there's going to be a DC Universe Rebirth Omnibus Expanded Edition. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, this is what it says. It says, story all of DC's Rebirth issues, including the latest issues of Batwoman, Justice League of America, Rebirth special, Holiday Special, and the one-shots starring Adam the Ray, Killer Frost, and Vixen. 792 pages. Holy smokes. For $100. Now, the one thing that I saw that I was actually thinking this could be really good is uh, Just League by Jeff John's box set, Volume 1. Um, now, what, what this is including is it's including Just League number 1 through 17 and Aquaman 15 and 16. So but it comes in a really, really nice box to display it on your shelf. 
Um, it seems like they're starting to do a lot more of these box sets. So that would be Throne of Atlantis and Justice League War. Oh, that's a good collection. Yeah. But that was one of the, that was one of the things. I mean, obviously if you want to check out all of what there is, you can head over to the site and look for new collected editions announced. All right. We already talked about the fact that it was revealed that Snyder and Capullo are going to be talking about their next project. Just to touch on that again, head over to the site to find out exactly what the details are. And I'm sure we'll have a lengthy discussion about whatever it is on the, on next, the next episode. episode. Exactly. Yeah. And then finally, our last article, uh, we, we uh, one of our comic reviewers and contributors on the website, uh, Jessica, she has started a new article series called This Week in the Batcave, where she dives into tweets, Instagram posts, Facebook posts, uh, random comments, from one creator to another creator talking about all kinds of stuff related to the books. And uh, needless to say, there's a lot of work that she's putting into this article series, but it, she's pulling some crazy information out that uh, we previously have not seen released in other forms. Um, but basically there's links to different art for certain books that are coming up. There's links talking about some of the stuff that they're going to focus on some of the stories but it's really cool. It's a really cool breakdown. If you're wanting to keep it's up good. with what's going it. on, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that you would never expect to ever see posted in a news article. Um, but this stuff is this is this stuff is being posted and by Jessica, and it's some good stuff. So it's entertaining too. It's not like a dry thing. It's it's a lot of information. I liked it. It was good. Yeah, and it's it's cool. There's lots of links to check out exactly yep. the art that uh, you know that some of the creators are hinting at that we're not going to see for months ahead. You know, months before now. So, um, so yeah, I, I strongly suggest you check it out. We're we're hoping to get that posted up on every Monday. Uh, for you guys to check out so you can see everything that happened in the Batcave the last, over the last week. So check that out on the site. So with that, that is all of our news. Now we're going to jump over to our comic book reviews. We're going to start off with Dark Knight 3. Dark Knight 3, the Master Race, number eight, written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello. Although I fear that Frank Miller may have wrote more of this issue than Mr. Azzarello did. Um, artist, Andy Kubert. Uh, we wake up with a Flash and Batgirl. Just a flip, quick reminder. The last thing that happened before this issue was uh, we saw the you know them get thrown in the Lazarus pit after getting um, shot. <clears throat> anyway, we open up with Flash uh, still uh, hurt and Batgirl watching the footage of Batman getting shot with the uh, laser beams of Quar. Uh, Carrie assumes the worst that he is dead. Turns out he's not dead. Uh, we see Batman come in um, wrapped up in a cape. Uh, who, who, he's uh, young again, the 30 ish, 30 ish Batman, I guess, normal Batman age, bad age. Um, and we found out, of course, that Superman has put him in the Lazarus pit. Um, we see that Quar's army is about to attack the Amazons who, you know, Wonder Woman is there with uh, Laura and uh, Jonathan, the baby. And, you know, they want the baby and the Amazons aren't going to let them ha- that happen. Um, we see Batman show carry a collection of, uh, older Batmobiles. Um, and then we get a call from Diana that they're in trouble at the mascara and, uh, Superman rushes off to help, but Batman knows that he can't get there in time because he can't fly. Um, we then get this big, like multiple page fight scene between the two armies of Quar and the Amazons. Uh, Superman shows up and Diana hugs him and says, it's happy to see him. 
I'm assuming that she see she, the actual quote is she's happy to see him like this, and he's standing there covered in blood. So I'm assuming that she means is happy to see him unfrozen, not covered in blood. But if you're just reading this issue and forget that he started the series co- uh, frozen in ice, you could have believed that she was happy to see him um, covered in blood, uh, which I did for about uh, three or four minutes. Uh, anyway, um, we then get the uh, the word that the children that have ate the uh, explosives are all gathering in one place and they're counting down and he flies off to help Batman. And that's the issue. Okay. I got two questions for you here. First one, we see the Lazarus pit and then we see Batman acting what appears to be normal. Do we think we're going to get any type of um, Lazarus pit made him angry, do terrible things, or is this going to be like an easy, just dump him in and he's back to young Bruce again? I think they're going the route of just dump him in and he's going to be young Bruce again. I also feel like by making him young, they are leaving the opportunities for future installments of DK, whatever, four, five, six, whatever they want to call it down the line. Um, They're leaving them wide open because now that Bruce has been de-aged and he's younger, he can still, you know, basically be on the same, be right alongside Superman and Wonder Woman, who clearly do not age the same way that Bruce has. Um, so, th- this has led them to basically have more story possibilities in the future. Not that I'm saying I want them, right? No, I get it. I'm not saying I want them, but I feel like the Lazarus Pit is a solution that is just leaving it there for them to do that. so I think it might be too soon to tell. I know that the madness is usually right after being taken out of it. Um, But we know that Bruce is so strong mentally and psychologically that I could, I feel like he might be able to hold that back. But perhaps since we, you know, do have some issues left that he will uh, hold it back until maybe there's a big breaking point and he'll let loose. And maybe that'll be a to be continued dot, dot, dot. But I don't know if we've seen the last of it because if it affects everyone, what would make him so different? And I know I just said that he's mentally and psychologically stronger, but I think even Bruce has his breaking point, and I think the Lazarus Pit is pretty consistent in its after effects. So I, I, I'm just waiting for it to happen. I think it might. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it should it should have some effect, even if it's not. It, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be him, you know, decapitating anybody, but like it should have some at least maybe heightened aggression or uh, latent megalomania. I don't know, but there, there should be there should be something there. Um, my, the other thing I have here is what's the, I kind of feel like this. I'm just going to make a statement and see if you guys agree or disagree. Isn't this kind of stupid to take, uh, the whole point of the DK universe as an old grizzled Batman and make him young again. Isn't that the whole point of the dark Knight universe is old Batman. And now he's just young. Like, does that make any sense to anybody or am I just being over critical? I guess there's two ways to look at it. I mean, yes, the dark Knight universe is supposed to be an old grizzled Batman. So yes, it should have to do with that. So by making him young, you're kind of negating the whole purpose of, you know, the, the entire series in the first place. But I think the, the problem is that I think that there are certain writers involved in this project, <laughs> Frank Miller, Frank Miller, who yeah. is convinced that this is not supposed to be necessarily about a older Batman per se, as it is about a futuristic world that Batman is in. Um, huh. And I think, and, and I think that's probably changed, but if, if you go back and read dark Knight strikes again, it doesn't feel as if you know the the idea was that it was that that it doesn't feel like it's on the same you know same regard as the the first Dark Knight Returns, um, and I feel like this is now 
physically putting Bruce in a position where they can continue to tell stories in a future world without having to worry about Bruce dying every time he gets into a major fight. Um, so like, do I agree with them doing this? No, because it does like I was reading these stories with the intent of, Oh yes, this is stories that are being told because it's an older Batman and he's at the end of his career type situation. Not this is taking place in a future Batman, you know, future yeah. world. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't agree with it, but I feel like that's why it's happening. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can really add too much to, to what Dustin is saying because it certainly was the point for one and two, and uh, I guess for. Th- 3.5 you know having this older guy but also he was so he's so close to the edge of death or he was that I think the consideration was where you know where's the future of the series going and however much I love Carrie Kelly and especially Carrie Kelly as Batgirl uh, perhaps people were feeling like she wouldn't be able to carry it on which I don't know why not give her a fair shake there but I, it's, I mean, it's basically like a soft reboot, right, to bring them back from the edge of death and have this continue. And I think, again, it, it goes back to the previous thought of let's give this series a future so that uh, Frank Miller can write as many as possible. And you can't do that if your character is dead. So let's let's revivify him. So, no, it's it's not uh, the spirit, I guess, of what the original Dark Knight was, but it does lend a future for more stories. And it's funny too, because the one thing I was kind of looking forward to after the story, because they were, they're going to continue this universe. Like that's just going to happen because it sells too many issues not to, but I was kind of looking forward to the Carrie Kelly as Batgirl being the center focus of the book and Bruce being that Mm -hmm. Alfred type role. That was something I was, I was interested in that story. I don't know if I want to see old Bruce, who's young Bruce, you know, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am. To me, this this whole issue, this isn't really, I guess this is my last question, uh, but just kind of a quickly is, does this feel to anyone else like the wheels are just coming off the wagon with the overall plot line too? It seems like, I don't know, maybe I was just in a bad place or something when I read the issue, but this seemed like it was just kind of meandering right now. Well, I would say that it, it does feel that there's some sort of issue. You know, originally when this 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 series was was pitched it was supposed to be eight issues so this should have been the end final but they right. clearly changed some things because obviously this doesn't feel like the ending of a series uh, of the series it just feels like there's it's a cliffhanger and there's something else that's going to happen in the next issue so clearly at some point the uh, it went from eight issues to nine issues and they changed something and i feel like the ending maybe i don't know like i i feel like the the ending maybe would have been uh, Bruce coming out of the Lazarus pit or something like that, and now they've decided to go some other route. I don't know exactly what it is. But honestly, when we go back to the previous issues, and I know it's really difficult for anybody who's been following along with this series to keep track of what's going on because, I mean, the first issue came out over a year ago, and it's been, what, like four, 14, 15 months since yeah. the first issue came out, and we've gotten eight issues, so it's basically like every other month Essentially, we've gotten an issue, um, which is really annoying to begin with. But the other problem is that um, there was a couple issues ago where the the giant battle took place with the Kryptonians and Quar's army and all of that. And when Quar was defeated, that felt like that was supposed to be the end. Right, yeah. And then, you know, Bruce died and everyone was like, oh, crap, he's dead. And that felt like it was supposed to be the ending. And then he goes into the Lazarus pit at the last second of, and then all of a sudden, 
he's back alive and we're getting two more issues and suddenly we're having another battle between Kryptonians and now Amazon or the Amazons. I, I, I don't understand what's going on. Honestly, it, it does feel like it's gone off the rails. It feels like at some point somebody decided, Hey, this is sell. This sells really well. We want to make sure we leave this open. And the idea maybe was Bruce does die. And that was the end. And, you know, he sacrifices himself and that's the end. Maybe you have like a Dark Knight Returns moment where you have somebody say like, oh, maybe we can take, maybe we could save him or something, something to give hope that maybe he's still around, but just leave it like that and just leave it open. And then somebody came along and was like, we're going to change this. We're going to change this. We're going to add a battle between the Amazons and the Kryptonians for some idiotic reason. And I feel like the entire addition of uh, Superman and Wonder Woman's daughter and then the the baby, all of that, I feel like just was added in just to be there. I don't, it, it, it's it, your, your question was, does it feel like it's going off the rails? I feel like it's gone off the rails. It went off the rails a long time ago. Uh, I'm going to say something really shocking and you're going to confuse us why I'm saying it, but I actually really liked this issue. Um, I, I guess I can see what you mean, but the entire thing was completely off the rails to begin with. So if it's, is it different from where we were in the past, which uh, I would agree that that's certainly true. They're clearly trying to elongate the story, but for once I just felt like this was really engaging and I was excited to read it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it seemed, I enjoyed the conversations between uh, Batgirl and Flash and then what a happy reunion. There may have been some innuendo there between Batman and uh, Batgirl. And then the actual fight I thought was pretty sweet, especially with the, the voiceover with, um, because you would think the Kryptonians couldn't be destroyed, but then uh, you see Diana basically cutting them to pieces and then the romantic. I mean, I just thought that was an epic battle. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, and then, you know, just as she thought her daughter took um, Jonathan. Uh, well, no, it didn't take, but she thought she was going to take it. And then, you know, her daughter did actually go off with the other people. Yes, it was disturbing that uh, Clark and Diana <laughs> shared a kiss. But I just felt like for once this thing didn't drag on because I've been struggling for the past seven issues to like just get through it because it just seemed like like it was too much, um, but it seemed like the images played more of a part than uh, the words. So for me, I honestly think like maybe we're getting back on the wagon. I guess it depends or on the track. I guess it depends on what you imagined or envisioned this whole uh, story to be. I completely agree with you that we're going on for far too long and it should never have turned into a maxi series. I think six would have been fine, but I, I honestly, I really liked this issue. <laughs> so I guess I'm mm. just the odd man out. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, that's all it took. Yeah, we're done here. <laughs> all right. So DK three, I'm going to give two and a half, uh, two. I'm going to give it a four. All right. And over on the website, Matthew gave it two. So that's going to give DK three a total of three out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman number eight, Ends of the Earth, part three. Writer Scott Snyder, artist Giuseppe Camanacilio. The story opens up at the Mississippi Delta. Uh, we find out that the virus that we kind of dealt with in the other issues and with the Ivy issues uh, stretched over 500 miles before they were able to use the cure that uh, Ivy did give to Batman in the previous issue. Um, we get some 
exposition from Batman that the Blackhawks are the name of the group that's been following him and Duke. And that Duke was monitoring the situation with the virus, but he went silent and missing uh, about an hour ago. Uh, waiting for him at this house in the Delta he's going to is uh, Batwoman, Nightwing, and Red Hood, um, who ask him to stop, which, you know, he doesn't, of course, because he's Batman. He fights him. Um, he wins uh, the battle using a, well, he actually picks up a flamingo, like a bird, and he hits. <laughs> he hits t- that made me laugh. I thought it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, I thought it was cool. He hit uh, hits Dick with a uh, with a flamingo, not like a plastic flamingo. Uh, so <laughs> a living, breathing, breathing flamingo. Yes, a living, breathing flamingo, uh, weaponized. So probably the most interesting fight move I've seen in a long time. Um, we get inside the house finally, and uh, Mad Hatter is waiting for him there. Um, we all, Batman seems to believe when he goes in the house that Hatter is the one behind the, this whole thing. Um, but, it, but, it, but Hatter keeps telling that he's not, uh, we then see Hatter use some of his, um, technology to get inside the head of Batman with the mind control stuff. And we kind of go on this psychedelic trip through, uh, Bruce's head where we see Bruce confronted by, you know, like the enemies, you know, Joker, Harley, all your, your basic rundown of enemies there. And then we see in his mind, they turn into friends, like friendly versions of his enemies. Um, Joker, you know, unjokerized and things like that. Um, all of this is, of course, you know, going on in Batman's head. And uh, he has some explosions, explosives that he can set off to take down the Hatter's deal here. All this is a ruse to Hatter trying to get Bruce not to turn him off. Uh, Bruce fights back and manages to get out of his own head, trigger the explosives. How starts going up, then the Blackhawks show up who are who are following him around, uh, but Batman drop kicks Mad Hatter through a window, kind of puts his head underwater, semi-drowns him, I guess, to get some information out of him, which is the identity of the true villain, which he tells Batman, but we don't get to see, because we'll find that out in the next issue. Next issue, the true villain. Okay, we get a ride inside of Batman's head here. We all know that these are dream sequence situations aren't aren't real. We, we all know reading it that this isn't really going on, but does this... I was just giving you a thought. What do you think of that dream sequence? And does it ever, does it ever take you out of the story when we have these dream sequences? Because you know that what's going on in them isn't, isn't real. Does that, does that take away some of the meaning for it for you? Or do you still kind of like these things? I'm not necessarily opposed to them. I, I, I mean, I'd prefer if it wasn't you know the dream world situation, but I, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think also the use of Mad Hatter, which I know you, you absolutely love Mad Hatter. Really? Um, but like, I think the use of Mad Hatter works well when you're dealing with this dream state because of, you know, what he's involved with, with the technology and the hats and it was explained well. So yeah, like, it was. for the, for the most part, I don't, I'm not going to complain about the, the fact that, you know, most of what we saw was, was not real, um, because it actually made sense the way it was written. So I'll leave it at that. Okay. I, you know, I enjoyed this. I, I like getting, uh, you know, into someone's brain cycle, you know, and, and seeing how different people sort of react to this thing. I recently actually read on, on your two recommendations, Ooh. Batman Ego. And so, you know, That's I see one. some similarities. It's, it's if, yeah, if not, not, you know, necessarily like this um, sort of anthropomorphized Batman um talking outside of himself, but it certainly is a mind game uh, and having to conquer that. I also thought, you know, to a certain extent, it, it's so well done that I was led to believe it a little bit, you know, just like Batman, I think, is doubting it. And I thought to myself, gee, 
What if we've been punked these 75 years and Batman's been in, in, in you know, in a, <laughs> some sort of asylum and he's actually, this, he's all been doing this in his mind, sort of like drawing back the curtain, uh, saying elsewhere, you find out that um, this was all going on in the imagination of a young boy. And he was like, because there's a little hospital inside of a snow globe. I think that's what it is. So I just thought, wouldn't that be funny? But I guess that would kind of have to be the end of, you know, the Batman. But people's minds would blow if that was done. Uh, So I wasn't taken out. I was just very much within and engaged and and how interesting it was and how well thought out. Uh, Perhaps more so than you would think for Mad Hatter. I feel like this sort of mind game comes better or more expected from Riddler. Uh, but Hatter really had this uh, thoroughly filled out, which, you know, now that I've said it, who wonders if the um, the big bad is, in fact, Riddler. But uh, there you go. No, I, I enjoyed this. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought this was well done. There has been times where dream sequences feel um, wasteful. You know, they seem like page filler. But this one was was interesting. I thought some of the art was was really, really well done. I liked the uh, when the enemies were shown as normal people. Um, the kind of cross. So I, I thought this was fun. Um, really kind of clever. And um, like I've had issues with in the past, but I thought this was a well done thing. Uh, question number two, and this is important. Mad Hatter, do we all still hate him? Oh my gosh. I, I don't know if I've ever said that I hated him. I don't have as much a problem with him as you do. And I don't, yeah. You, you go first there, uh, Dustin. I mean, I think the big thing is, I think we all know that you despise Mad Hatter. But I think a lot of it has to do with how he's been written in the past. <laughs> Um, you know, here's the thing. Mad Hatter is a character where I think if he's utilized well, he can be he can be okay. Like, is he going to be one of my top tier group of villains that I enjoy? No, never. He's not going to be that. Um, he's just not. I mean, honestly, there's been plenty of incarnations of Mad Hatter in the way he's been written, where he comes across as slightly a pedophile, and slightly, just happens. slightly, yeah. I'm trying to be nice here, <laughs> but uh, you know, a pedophile who has, you know, who's smart with technology and is able to you know, utilize technology to help him with his his issues. Uh, his issues. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. But um, I mean, like, the thing is. Here, we're not focusing on his, you know, desire to find Alice. We're not really focusing on any of that. They're just focusing on the technology aspect of his character, which is is fine. And honestly, when you look at the characters that exist within Batman's realm of, you know, the rogues gallery, there are not a ton of characters that you could sit there and say, yes, these are actually very, these, these characters have adapted very well to, modern times not that they they haven't i see that like you look at the joker and the joker sure he's just a nut but like times change things change is he really utilizing anything new in today's society that he wasn't utilizing back then not really they've tried to make riddler into not just a you know guy who solves puzzles very well and a guy who and a guy who you know has to constantly try to one up everybody on on uh with riddles and things like that but like as we'll talk about when we get to batman he's now some sort of guy who can hack into systems and things like that because they're trying to make him more more up to date and relevant yeah so but mad hatter is one of those characters where he can be completely relevant because he's always using technology i mean when he was used as part of the batman robin eternal when he was using the the mind control wave or whatever and they had to go stop the the wave that was making everybody you know crazy you know 
it makes sense to use him when it comes, you know, to you to needing somebody who has technology based not powers but skills. So I mean, like for here, I mean, this works out well. It, it kind of shows that you know he has been diving into this for a long time. Um, so I mean, like for this this specific way that he was used, I think it works out fine. I think the more important question is: Are you disappointed he no longer has a lazy eye? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, he's certainly That's less creepy than the, than the new Fifty Two version. I think. Uh, yeah, his his pedophilia is still there, so you can't really justify that. Um, but I think he has played well in this issue, and um, I think maybe get given a little more depth. Uh, rather than just his normal shtick, because he really plays a long psychological game with Bruce here. And I think that's something we haven't necessarily seen, you know, instead of just kidnapping uh, young ladies and turning them into (laughs) uh, Alice. But I've never really had a problem with him. Uh, He's certainly not my favorite, but he's not my least favorite cough, cough joker. So, uh, yeah, I'm fine (laughs) with his appearance. So, Ed, now's the time for you to get on the couch and share. Um, Yeah, I still hate him. Mostly (laughs) with that. Um, It's just not not the guy that does it for me. Um, Uh So I guess the the final quick question is, uh, anyone got a guess on who the true villain is? No. Uh, I mean, honestly, last issue when we thought it was Mad Hatter, I was kind of pissed because of the idea of Mad Hatter being the bad Big Bad kind of was mind-boggling. But, I mean, if you look at – it's going to come probably out of left field, but the only one that I could think of trying to figure out a way to manipulate all of these other villains to help him would be Hugo Strange. Hmm. It's one of the few that I could think of that would be like, yes, this actually makes sense. And the fact that since Rebirth we haven't seen Hugo Strange that I recall, I think that that is a possibility, especially with the fact that we only have one more issue. So it's not like we're going to be focusing on whoever it is for that long of a period. And Hugo Strange doesn't need to have a whole lot of time to focus on if he is the big bad, but it does feel like Snyder's trying to, you know, check off a bunch of villains off his list of saying he's been able to work with them. So, I mean, it's possible, but that's, that's as far as I go, as far as predicting, because I can't think of anybody else who would actually be able to get these other villains to do his bidding. Uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting if it were, like I said, uh, the Riddler, um, I guess that makes sense with Hugo. Uh, it's a little weird just to use him so soon after, um, Batman, but I guess that's how you're going to play it. And it makes sense since he, he knows, I guess who Bruce Wayne is. So Uh, I could go with that. Both Valiant. I wouldn't mind seeing it with Riddler, especially if we were setting up a longer term story with him. Um, I was thinking of maybe Tommy Elliott hush. Mm. Um, for the same reason kind of you hit on there, Stella, he knows who Bruce is. So, yeah, maybe one of those three will probably be wrong and it'll be like Condom and King or something. But Oh, you know. that would be – Killer Moth, that would be amazing. Just yeah, there we go. Level. Yeah. yeah, because I wouldn't think Mad Hatter would have known – like someone had to tell him that Bruce and Batman were the same. And the secret identity is getting kind of uh, – More people are knowing every day, every issue. Not so much of a secret. Yeah, very true. All right, so All-Star Batman, I'm going to give a total of four out of five. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. Um, <gasps> Ed. I know. I know. I didn't. I still hate Mad Hatter as a character, but 
I'm giving it such a high score because Batman picked up a flamingo and hit a guy with it. That was so, pretty funny. Yeah. 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 Peter wouldn't appreciate it, but no, yeah, I did. Uh, and I'm going to give it a four as well. All right. So over on the website, Corbin gave it four and a half. So it's going to give all-star Batman a total of four out of five batteries. Let's move into our next book, Batman. Okay, so this is Batman 19. I am Bane Part 4. Writer Tom King. Pencils David Finch. Inks Danny Miki. Trevor Scott and Sandra Hope. I guess we need three people to ink it. And colors Jordi Belair. This is day four of the day five or the five days that Claire needs to get off of the craziness and use psycho pirates. So there we go. So at the beginning, Maxi Zeus is reciting Dante's Inferno as Bane makes his way past him and through the rest of Arkham Asylum. It's like a gauntlet. Readers find out from Two-Face that Batman has offered to improve his and the other's imprisonment if they help to stop or just slow down Bane. He is of two minds, of course. Does he help him? Does he not help him? Bane takes out these people in the following order. Two-Face, Solomon Grundy, one of my favorites, Amygdala, or as Dustin says, Amygdala, Scarecrow, who actually does slow him down a great deal, Mr. And that's not sarcasm. Mr. Freeze, Firefly, I was set to not see Killer Moth, Black Spider, Flamingo, Man Bat, Zaz, Mad Hatter, Dr. Phosphorus, Hush, and Copperhead. Calendar Man doesn't do anything except mock shoot himself in the head and collapse. And Riddler actually helps Bane get through the lock um, under threat of death as well as the puzzler helping Bane out. And so Bane goes through the locked door to Batman, Alfred, and Claire. And all of this action is taking place between 12 a.m. of day four to 12 a.m. of day five. Along the way, Bane angrily explains that this is all Batman's fault and that Bane was done. He was done and just needed the pirate for the pain. He was done with the venom and all that stuff. And sure, there was some bloodshed to get him. But that was Hugo Strange. That wasn't him. And he was just done. On the opposite end, Bruce is telling Alfred to look around and asks whether he expected, whether Alfred expected anything else, given all the things Bane has done, including hanging his son. So we find out that that was actually true, not just a random vision. Uh, As Batman and Bane survey each other, now in the same room, Maxie Zeus recites William Blake's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. And next issue, it all ends. I have just one question for you. Given Bane's statement of facts, and I put facts in quotations here, is Bane justified in what he is doing? Well, here's the thing. I have a hard time believing. Okay, so if you remember, Psycho Pirate was trying to help Bane release, like get off his need for Venom. That was the whole idea. Correct. So if that was the whole intent, and Psycho Pirate was actually allowing him to, you know, become someone who does not have to be addicted to venom. Then as soon as psycho pirate leaves, he's like, well, the, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to wanting, or I I need psycho pirate to help me, but I'm going to go back to using venom. So, I mean, that part of it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, The fact that he is insisting on going back or getting psycho pirate back. I I mean, sure. it, It makes sense, but very loosely because the whole idea of him having psycho pirate in the first place was so that he could get off venom. But if that was the intent, then why did he immediately go back on venom as soon as psycho pirate wasn't around? Is that he just needs to have psycho pirate around 24 seven all the time in order to make sure he doesn't stay on. He doesn't go back to venom. And I mean, if that's the case, it seems a little 
redundant. And what's the point of even going that route? Um, but like going after Psycho Pirate because Batman took him, yeah, it could be taken to the extreme because he's just pissed because Batman took him um, instead of like we like you pointed out last episode, just you know kindly asking for Psycho Pirate. Um, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess I mean in, in, there's there's a way to go about saying sure it makes sense, but it does feel like it just is a little overkill. Like he's going and destroying. He's trying to destroy Batman because of this odd situation where it just does seem like this weird, weird misunderstanding and weirdly timed situation where Psycho Pyro just happened to be in the clutches of Bane when uh, when Batman needed him because it was very sudden when that all, that all happened to begin with. So I think that Bane thinks that it's perfectly justified that he's going after him. There's a couple of things in the story that kind of puzzle me. One is if in five days... Gotham Girl will be totally cured. Why did Bane need to keep Psycho Pirate in perpetuity? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. wouldn't five five mm. days or hell, let's call it ten days of uh, him telling Bane that he doesn't need to be addicted to Venom and that uh, he doesn't have any withdrawal? Wouldn't that do it? I mean, Gotham Girl is totally mentally cracked, right? Like broken, and she can be totally healed in five da- five days with a session a day. So that doesn't add up. But to take that out of it, um, I think that Bane believes that he's justified. I think that there is an argument that can be had here that, uh, like you guys talked about, was, you know, hey, you could have just asked nicely. Um, Batman was Batman. I went in there and he broke his back and he took his, you know, his magic happy pill. So, yeah, I, I think that Bane believes it. And I think he's probably got a legitimate gripe. I don't think he's justified for ripping apart the entire city, hanging the Robins in the Batcave and generally causing this level of malfeasance. But uh, Mm. I can see why he's upset. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I said facts or truth. And I think they're facts and truth in his mind. And, of course, everyone has their own truth. And there's really only, you know, you got to sort of converse in order to get the the actual truth there. Um, and, And it was an interesting perspective from him because if you think about it, while he was the perpetrator of everything, he certainly didn't, you know, he wasn't the one who's directly killing them, even though Batman does. So it was an interesting back and forth there on two different sides of the wall because Hugo Strange, well, Batman says, you know, he killed Gotham, dot, dot, dot. And I was thinking about that. And so it's interesting just that Batman ascribes these things to one person and and Bane does it to another person as well. And uh, so I wonder if he is, you know, justifying this because he just wanted Psycho Pirate. He wasn't the one to tell. I mean, who knows what the orders were from him to Hugo, uh, but he did not lay a hand on the people who were killed in order to get the Psycho Pirate. Uh, And when he had him, you know, he was taken from him. Now, of course, yes, we go into the kidnapping and all of that stuff, but it's just interesting how he blames Batman. And, you know, if you look at just his perspective and all of that, it does seem like it's justified. Uh, But of course, from Batman, you know, Bane has gone a little out of control and uh, he but he is also it's sort of like paying back what Batman did because Batman took Psycho Pirate and and took Bane down. And so now Bane is wanting to take Psycho Pirate back and wants to take Batman down. So it's it's like this never ending cycle. And it reminds me of the quote from. Uh, Claire Temple, who appears in all of the, the Marvel TV shows on Netflix, she says, and I'm not sure which show it started in, but she said it again in um, 
Iron Fist. I think it may have started in Daredevil, but she said, you know, an eye for an eye makes a whole world blind. So he's just repaying back what was given to him, but it's just going to be this never ending circle. But I really like the, the differing perspectives here. And sorry, you have to stop and say, well, gee, Batman exactly didn't do the right thing, but here we are. So, yeah. All right. So Batman, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. Uh, two and a half out of five. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. It was a fighty McFights. What I can't remember. There's McFight, something called fight, that. Fight. Yeah, the issue that you'd expect in the '90s is very much something that um, you would see maybe in a kung fu movie, with just like moving through different people's like a gauntlet of fighting. But I thought it was a lot of. Well, I enjoyed the the fights as well as Maxi Zeus, you know, and his narration with different poems. And then again, just the different perspectives and, and getting into the mindset of Bane, whereas you don't normally do that. So I liked it for. All right. So over on the websites, Matthew gave it four. So that's going to give Batman a total of three and a half out of five bad rank. All right. So that's going to bring us to our last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 953, written by James Tenyon IV, art by Fernando Blanco and Christian Duche. Uh, the uh, the issue starts off uh, with a Hawaiian shirt clad Commissioner Gordon arriving back <laughs> in Gotham, where Renee Montoya has arranged a surprise covert helicopter meeting with Batman and Batwoman. Jim believes the Joker is behind the attacks, but Batman and Batwoman tell him that it's not the Joker and he needs to evacuate evacuate everyone immediately. Meanwhile, Cassandra views the carnage Shiva causes as she remembers her training with the first orphan, her father, David Kane. Particular memory reveals her confrontation with Kane over her birth mother, who Kane lies to her about, saying that there is no comfort at the end of Cassandra's road. Clayface breaks in on her breaks in on her since Batman and Batwoman put him in charge of cast sitting duty. He offers what comfort he could, giving her a book of Shakespeare works, which was his own method of coping. He tells her he'll let her go, and she embraces him before leaping out the window. As Clayface calls in Orphan's trajectory, he sees Shiva's ninjas enter the belfry. Batman intercepts Cassandra, telling her he wants her to stand down for her own safety, but she insists her name is Orphan, but he tells her she doesn't have to be her father or her mother's daughter. She beats Batman brutally, but he refuses to fight back, saying he believes in her. She responds by kicking him off the roof and vanishing. As Bruce climbs back up, Alfred radios at a disturbance of, of a disturbance at the cave, but the transmission cuts off violently. At the same time, Batwoman calls Batman from the Belfry, telling him Clayface couldn't stop the League of Shadows. They attack her from behind and drag her to the cells where they stab her with a katana in the belly in front of her father. Orphan, in the center of Gotham, shouts for Shiva. Her mother arrives, and Cassandra rips off her mask, asking why her mother abandoned her. Shiva deduces that David Kane executed the experiment he told her of, teaching a child body language as their first language. She promises to give Cassandra the answer she seeks if she will fight to kill. Cassandra fights, but still refuses to resort to lethal strikes, leading to another curb stomp. Shiva dumps Cass down a manhole before heading off to deal with the rest of the Bat family. Batman rushes to the cave where the Bat computer displays the defeat of Batwoman, Clayface, and Orphan. His distress only increases when Razal Ghul arrives with Ubu. So, uh, a couple of things. So, as we saw in issue, I believe it was 952, uh, we saw Shiva talking to Razal Ghul, Razal Ghul telling her to 
um, telling her that he would reveal where her daughter was and that her daughter is still alive. She didn't care and destroyed the, the, the colony members that were there with the League of Assassins. Do we believe, based off of what we see here, that the League of Assassins is in cohorts with the League of Shadows? No. I believe that they may have been. This sounds like a double cross. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they were probably in league at some point, and the reason that uh, Roz or Raish is there in the Batcave is to propose an allegiance between him and Batman to go after Shiva and the colony. First of all, it's cahoots. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> that's oh, just man. baloney. Oh man! Okay, anywho. <laughs> Okay, whew. Uh, I believe that they're two separate entities going after the same thing, and at one point we're going to have a Raish slash Raz Al Ghul and Shiva showdown. So my, my thought process is I feel like Raz, the cliffhanger leads us to believe that, that Raz is involved in what's going on with Shiva, but I feel like he's actually there to kind of step in and say, hey, uh, Bruce, I'm going to help you out with the League of Shadows, mostly because I feel like the League of Shadows and the League of Assassins are always butting heads to begin with. So I feel like the League of Assassins is going to pop in and be like, well, we're going to deal with the League of Shadows ourselves. Um, That's what I feel like it's going to happen. We're led to believe, based off the cliffhanger, that Raish is there to basically screw over Batman because the entire team is taken out, but I think he's actually there to help. Um, that's where I'm going with it. Um, the other question I have is the, the entire situation between Cassandra and Bruce, Batman basically saying, be your own person. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to do what you, you, you believe your father taught you to do. You don't have to believe, you don't have to do what you're, you're seeing that your mother is capable of doing. You can be your own person. Um, but she still brutally attacks Batman. Batman doesn't fight back, which I can understand why he doesn't fight back, but I'm not sure she had to be as brutal as she was. Now, the real question is, when she ends up facing Shiva, she still doesn't take kill shots or, you know, strike to kill situation. Why do you think, I, I mean, like, we want her to obviously stay as a good character, not, you know, go to the dark side per se. Why is it that if she's fighting Shiva and she knows what Shiva is capable of, and she's already lost a fight to Shiva in the past, why do you think that she's still holding back, but yet disobeying everything that Batman's saying? What do you think is the the logic behind that? She doesn't want to fight her mom, but she right? is fighting her mom. She's just not wanting to kill her. mom. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think she's holding back because she's fighting her mother. I don't think she wants to kill her mother. I don't think she, you know, like Shiva's argument here is also kind of stupid. Like, if you fight me to kill me, I'll tell you the truth. But if she kills him, if she kills her, how is Shiva going to tell her the truth? She's going to be it's dead. True. It's true. You know, like, so this is a real faulty. The only there's this is a bad situation for Cass. If she does what Shiva wants her to and she wins, Shiva dies. She's not going to get the truth. If she fights and loses, she dies. She doesn't get the truth. This is a lose lose situation. But yeah, I, I think it's primarily because of her mom, but the rest of it just kind of makes it a little bit comical when you think about it. I think also, even though she's been with Batman for such a short time, that his lessons and his belief system and code are deeply ingrained with her now uh, because I think. You know, you gather more or you attract more bees with honey uh, than a not sweet substance. Uh, So I think, or flies, I think that because he has shown love to her, those lessons were more easily 
uh, she was more easily receptive to those lessons. Whereas, I mean, you can see from those flashbacks uh, how cruel David Kane was. And even apart from that, from her own series uh, way back when. So I, I think there's partially something about her mother. Um, but, you know, she doesn't really have a connection with her yet besides be in name only of her being her mother. But I think it's just also she's been trained now, retrained to not take those kill shots. So I think it's hard to get out of that. I would I would agree that she's been trained not to take the kill shots, but it just seems like she's going to fight a losing battle in general. Oh. If she's going into a fight where the other person is bound to, you know, to take kill shots if they if they have the opportunity to. And she's not like I'm looking at it from the perspective of here's two ways to, to go into a fight. You go into a fight with a knife or you go into a fight with a gun. Which one's going to be better, <laughs> the gun or the knife? And, you know, Shiva's walking into the fight with a gun and Cass is walking in with a knife and the gun immediately takes the other person out. The knife can't do anything. So why is she taking out Batman and disobeying Batman is don't go after Shiva because there's, there's you know, you're not going to be able to take her down by yourself what is the reason behind that other than just to have yet another fight where she loses leading us to a fight where Batman, you know, fights with Cassandra to take down Shiva, you know, the two of them together. That's the only thing I can think of because it doesn't seem like Shiva is going to be able to be defeated one-on-one with anybody. No. And I think that's why they're building her like that on purpose. All right. So this issue, I'm going to give three and a half out of five, three out of five. I'll go with three and a half out of five as well. All right. And over on the website, Ian gave it four out of five. So that's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's jump over to Greater Gotham. All right, so starting off on March 15th, the main TBU books where we talked about Batman number 19 and All-Star Batman number 8. Nightwing number 17, after putting Damien in his place, Nightwing and Robin travel to France to find Sean. They face off against Deathwing only to have help from an unlikely source that points them to the real kidnapper, Professor Pig. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Batwoman number one on the trail of the monster Venom. Batwoman is aided by Julia Pennyworth as they globe trot and have to deal with a new alien, a new villain called Knife. This is reviewed by Jessica. She gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Harley Quinn number 16 is Harley, Powergirl, and Atlee deal with Zorkrom. In the future, Super Bat fan Devani wins a tournament that allows her to travel in time to meet Batman. Though she has another plan, take out Harley Quinn before she murders Batman. This is by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. No secondary TBU books, main DC Universe books. Super Sons number two. As Damien and John investigate LexCorp to find out who is broken in, they encounter Lex himself before making an escape that leads them closer to Kid Amazo. This is by Jessica. She gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Um, thumbs up. Trinity number seven. Ra's al Ghul and Lex Luthor are summoned by what appears to be a Lazarus pit, only to have Cersei reveal that it is a Pandora pit as it begins to release a beast. This is reviewed by Bill. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. I'm giving it to give this one a thumbs up because I think it's going somewhere. Neutral. Justice League number 17, as the league is spread across time, Superman must deal with Tempest to 
try and stop the attack by the timeless. This is by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Oh, neutral. Secondary DC Universe books. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye number six. In the backup feature, a number of characters from the Batman universe appear, including Batman, Batgirl, Joker, Penguin, and Robin. DC Comics Bombshells number 24, which includes digital chapters number 69 through 72. The story features appearances from the bombshell versions of Kate Kane and Selena Kyle. Green Arrow number 19 is Roy Harper is brought back into the Green Arrow story. Black Canary appears. Injustice Ground Zero number 8, which includes digital chapters 15 and 16. Catwoman, Batman, Harley Quinn, and the Joker all appear in this issue, as well as an older version of Damian Wayne. <gasps> Superman, number 19. Super- Batman makes a brief cameo in a flashback of a fight between Darkseid and the Justice League. Moving on to March 22nd, main TV books. We already talked about Detective Comics, number 953. Batman Beyond, number 6, as Bruce is reunited with the rest of the Bat family. Barbara encounters Curare, who is trying to get away from the League of Assassins. This is by Matthew. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. and give this one a Thumbs up. Abstain. Thumbs up. Batgirl number nine. Barbara continues to investigate Ethan and his company's motives, even if it means making out with him and running into his father, Penguin. (laughs) How dare you put it in that way? It makes absolutely no sense that she's making out with him while she's investigating. That just doesn't. I I don't get it either, but that was just terrible how you phrased it. Uh, This was by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs down. Mm, uh, (laughs) Say it. Do it. Yikes. Neutral. Mother Panic number five. Violet decides that the revenge that Pretty wants is too extreme and stops it while her mother deals with a guest in their basement, the Rat Catcher. This is by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Abstain. Secondary TBU books. Uh, Batman 66 meets Wonder Woman 77 number three, which includes digital chapters five and six. Batman and Robin, along with Catwoman, head to Paradise Island to warn Wonder Woman that Roz and Talia are on their way. This is by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Abstain. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures number five. As the turtles, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl take down Mad Hatter. Scarecrow is looming in the background. This is by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I haven't read it, but I'm going to give it a thumbs down because you said the words Mad Hatter is in it. Oh, my gosh. Thumbs up. Main DC Universe books, Teen Titans number six. As the Teen Titans investigate a series of attacks and abductions throughout the San Francisco Bay. Uh, area, a new Titan appears on the scene as the rise of Aqualad begins. This is you by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Upstain. Thumbs up. Suicide Squad number 14. While Rustam continues to convince Flag and Katana to join his team, they head to London to wreak havoc. Meanwhile, Boomerang hears a transmission from Harley that leads him to decide to take revenge on Harcourt, who ordered him to kill Hack. This is you by Corbin. He gave it four to five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books. The Flash number 19. Eobard Thawne returns and remembers that the Flashpoint Batman, Thomas Wayne, killed him, leading him to state that he will take out Bruce as payback, which all leads to the Button storyline. Moving on to March 29th. We have main TV books, Batgirl Annual number one. Two stories are featured. The first being a team up with Supergirl, setting up a story coming up in the pages of Supergirl. The second story showcases Alicia, Alisa Yao. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. I'm going to split my vote here. I like the Supergirl story. Thumbs up and thumbs down for the second story. It's funny. I was very disappointed in the Supergirl story. 
story and I liked the <laughs> story. Um, so I, that's also another split vote. And if it's an annual, then you need to self-contain the story. You shouldn't have me buying Supergirl issues. Yes, 100% agree about that. Yeah, and that's actually why yeah. I gave it a thumbs down. The Supergirl story was fine. There wasn't necessarily anything wrong with it. But why is Hope Larson writing a lead in to a Steve Orlando story over in the pages of Supergirl in an annual. Yeah. Like why wouldn't Steve Orlando write the story in the annual then leading up to his story using Batgirl as the crossover? I don't understand that. And like the second story dealing with Alicia, like I don't, I don't really get the reason why she's, why she really needed that much focus. I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, uh, secondary TBU books, Dark Knight 3, Master Race number 8, we already talked about. Harley's Little Black Book number 6. This time around, Harley teams with Lobo. They battle other bounty hunters, hundred-eyed cave creatures, and pirates as they wreak havoc on everyone they meet. So by Jerry, he gave it 4 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Justice League of America number 3. As the JLA take down members of the extremists, they move closer to taking down Lord Havoc. Zoo by Paul, he gave it four out of five and give this one a neutral. Neutral? Abstain. Titans annual number one. The Titans and the Justice League have to come together to fight against an unforeseen foe driven to breaking up the bonds between the mentors and their former sidekicks. Zoo by Bill, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, Abstain. Thumbs up. Suicide Squad, Banana Splits, special number <laughs> one. In a silly crossover, as much as expected, the Banana Splits must save Task Force X from Doom. Zuba Jerry, he gave it th- two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. And finally, secondary DC Universe books, uh, Adam Strange, Future Quest, special number one. Batman and Catwoman both appear in the Top Cat backup story. And Green Lantern Space Ghost special number one. While trying to come up with some something that is scary, Green Lantern creates a construct of Batman. And then as far as TBU trades and hardcovers that have released in the past two weeks, we have Batman and Superman in World's Finest Comics, The Silver Age Omnibus Volume 1 Trade Paperback, Batman Ego and Other Tales Deluxe Edition Hardcover, Harley Quinn Volume 1 Die Laughing Trade Paperback, Justice League of America Power and Glory Hardcover, DC Comics Bombshells Volume 3 Uprising Trade Paperback, Batman by Brian K. Vaughn trade paperback, Batgirl Volume 1 Beyond Burnside trade paperback, Justice League of America, The Bronze Age Omnibus Volume 1 hardcover, and that is it. So those that is everything that uh, has released in the past three weeks. Be sure to check out all those detailed reviews in the uh, over at the website um, for all those books that we mentioned. Um, and then obviously every Saturday morning, you can check out our TBU review roundup for my wonderful one cent synopsis of all of these issues, as well as secondary DC books where we see the appearances from members of the Batman universe in other DC books. So be sure to check that out with that. That's going to jump straight into the bat signal. First comment comes from Jerry. Ian, great job and great podcast. And yes, I can confirm that Ian was on top of the Olive Slash Amy Mystery on Gotham Academy a few issues before the reveal. Monkey Watch, out of control. By the way, there is a gorilla, bingo, in the banana split, so the Suicide Squad crossover might be a good one for Dustin. Also, Dick and Babs' relationship transcend continuity and Dan DiDio. See you in three weeks. Well, I will say, unfortunately, I don't have Monkey Watch this time around, but there is a gorilla oh, as 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 uh, 
as uh, he points out, but I feel like the gorilla was the, the art in that suicide squad banana splits crossover was so, so crazy. I'm sure it was on purpose, but it was just slightly annoying. Um, but yes, uh, outside of that, Dick and Babs relationships, relationship transcending the continuity and Dan DiDio, I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it does. And I want to take this moment since he said something nice about Ian who stepped in for it. Thank mm-hmm. Ian for stepping in for me while I was gone. Yes. Ian did a great job and uh, we appreciate the fact that Ed wasn't here for a week. Well, thank oh. you. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> We needed a space, a break in our relationship, yeah. and the afforded. We need to that. see other people. I know. Our next comment comes from Ian himself. Aw, thanks, Jerry. Smiley face emoji. The reaction of all those whippersnappers, I'm 30 now, to Didio being so positive because of his role as the public face of Rebirth and his, to be fair, seemingly genuine apologies during the announcement stream for Rebirth is very confusing. I'm used to Didio being the chief target for all fan displeasure. I have to agree with that. I mean, that does tend to be the case whenever something goes wrong it does kind of fall into Dio's lap and he gets the most blame. But part of it is he is the face of the company per se, you know, Jim Lee's there too, but I think the Dio, I think does a little bit more promoting of the storylines and not as much of the stuff that, not that Jim Lee has less to do with the storylines by any means or the planning or anything like that, but I feel like Jim Lee, I hate to say this, but I feel like he's a token executive where he's there and he he doesn't actually have a lot to do and he's not involved in that many things. Well, I think too, the, the, the reaction from fans, right? Like when we see Jim Lee, the first thing I think of isn't, Oh, there's Jim Lee, the executive at DC. I think, Oh, he did the art on hush and he did the art on this and he, and we have like good, good vibes kind of associated with them in a way, you know? So I don't think you want to like grab the pickaxe. What's the good vibe associated with the deal. That's his job though. I mean, he's, he, I'm sure I assure you, he is not paid in peanuts to do this. Right. You know? and, and that's exactly right. I mean, the big thing is when it comes to Didio, there's been so many different events that he has been the face of where he's out there announcing it. He's out there talking about it. And then when the events fall flat, it's just kind of like, well, this is on him because yeah. he was the fan. Yeah. Um, and he probably doesn't get as much credit when it, when it comes to it, because he really is, like I said, he's the face. He's not necessarily the brains behind everything. He's just the face that gets all the association, good and bad, whenever something happens. So, I mean, I will say that, he, you know, his apologies when he was talking about the rebirth stuff. I mean, a lot of the things I think that made a lot of people mad with the new 52, at least old, older fans, I think a lot of that stuff where it's like, well, we need to reboot our universe every five years and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we need no, new readers and we don't care about all the old readers who have been supporting us for, you know, 30 years. Nobody cares about you. Like all that stuff, when he was apologizing for that stuff, it really did feel genuine. And then I, I appreciated the fact that even if he was not the person who was thinking these things, he was saying it because it meant somebody realized if they screwed up. All right. Our next comment comes from Chris. Another fun episode. While I did miss Ed, you're the only one. I thought Ian did a great job in his place. (laughs) Jerry well said. What with Batman crossing paths with Elmer Fudd? A question to the panel. 
Is there any improbable team up you'd like to see with Batman or anyone in the Batman family and another person or fictional character from any genre? Knowing that your next podcast will air in April, I now wonder if your responses may pass off as an April Fool's. Well, I will say none of us will give any suggestions that are necessarily April Fool's. They may seem crazy and wacky, but they're not an April Fool's joke, even though we are recording on April Fool's. But I will say this, if I was to actually have, if I could team Batman with any character, any character in all the pop culture and entertainment from all time, there's two that I would love to see. I would love to see Sean Connery, James Bond teamed with Batman. I can live with that. Yeah. And I would love to see, this is, this is my wacky one. I would love to see Batman teamed with Inspector Gadget. Sure. Um, because, I mean, if we can have Elmer Fudd, why not Inspector I mean, Gadget? True. I mean, at this point, if he's teaming up with Elmer Fudd, I've always wanted to see the I've often thought I would like to see the Gotham by Gaslight Batman with mm-hmm. a Sherlock Holmes. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would be be cool. That's the one I've always done or even like a modern day Batman with uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch version of Sherlock. I think would be interesting for some reason. I guess it's because the detective angle. Um, they've always kind of went together. Yeah. And why? Why not for you know, it's and giggles. We uh, just throw in detective chimp. Well, but we've seen him with detective chimp. Like oh, I know that literally. Just, like let's just put him in there because it'll be a great detective group. That's Monkey fetish. Yeah, that's the only reason why you want him in there. Let's be honest. Anyway, Stella. <laughs> Yes, thank you. I think that uh, Batgirl should uh, team up with Taylor Swift because they both seem to have issues with the men in their lives uh, and in general understanding what it takes to, you know, make a probably a strong foundational uh, relationship. And I will. <laughs> Isn't the bigger main problem the fact that they're just with too many men? Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> so there's that one. Nightwing, I would love to have teamed up with Speed Racer. Damien, I would love to have teamed up with Rocky and Bullwinkle. And Batman, I would love to have teamed up with Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice? Like Beetlejuice? Michael Keaton, Beetlejuice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beetlejuice. What do you think? That's okay. Huh. That's okay. <laughs> you don't even care. I, I, I don't think more. I would have ever even put those together. Rocky and Bullwinkle. Well, would and you put Damien. Elmer Fudd and Batman no, together? No, I would not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not seeing <laughs> for a moment that I would. But I'm. But like uh, the the Damien Rocky and Bullwinkle that could actually be pretty interesting. Just because of well, because like, he gets Damien so annoyed at like, yeah. So he would probably want to destroy Bullwinkle. He would probably like rip Bullwinkle's head off. Oh man, I hope not. He's my that favorite. Would be my favorite. Murderous. Yeah, it would be murder. Now, the, I, the other crossover I've always wanted to see which isn't strictly Batman, but is DC comics is I've always thought that like green lanterns crossing over with the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy stuff would be interesting. Oh. That's my, that's the one I've always kind of been like, Oh, that would be a really cool thing. Okay. Well, Ian chimed in and he had this to say, I want to see Stephanie Brown teamed up with Robin hood. She would be the purple hood smiley face emoji. I think Tim should team up with Richard III to prove his innocence against the evil Tudor Tudor propaganda, since he's the world's second greatest detective. And Cassandra should team up with Sherlock Holmes, the real one, not the fake BBC modern one, to fight the ninjas of a zombie Professor Moriarty in Tibet on skis. Smiley face emoji. And thanks for your kind comments. Those are some off-the-wall choices. As they should be. Our final comment comes from one Kimberly Rockmore. Oh, she's a good friend of mine and a good friend of Batgirl Oracle. Uh, in honor of her, I guess I'll, I'll try to 
uh, put on the accent that she does, you know, when, oh, of course, I mean, she has an accent. She's from Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Stop, I can't do that immediately. (laughs) This is great. You people. Okay. I didn't even write this, by the way. I just want to say that. that As I was coming up here to read all of this, I was like, what? Kimberly Rockmore. Okay. With news that Warner Brothers is looking to make a solo Batgirl film directed by Joss Whedon, what are your thoughts on that first? But also, there was word that the focus would be on her time as Batgirl in the new 52 by one Gail Simone, which I know you guys have been critical of. What are your thoughts about that as well? Apologies about the accent. I try yeah. really hard to forget that. Yeah. Apologies for that accent. Yeah. Um, okay, so first off, uh, solo back row film by Joss Whedon. I'm fine with that. Joss Whedon, he is a capable director who is actually, despite being a male, because some people would hold that against him, he has actually done some amazing things with female, female driven projects, Buffy the vampire. Uh, Buffy the vampire. Oh yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that that's the, the immediate one that comes to mind. Uh, Dollhouse is another one. Um, but he's worked on projects where female characters are the main characters, not just supporting characters. So uh, for that, I I'm perfectly fine with that. Now this, now I, I want to point out when, she, when Kimberly mentions the fact that th- there was two separate reports, there was a pr- report by variety that specifically stated that Joss Whedon was attached to potentially write, direct and produce a Batgirl solo film. Then later that day, entertainment weekly posted up a report saying that, Oh, by the way, this thing that came up, this morning that Joss Whedon does back roll, it's supposed to be the new 52 back roll based off of the Gail Simone run, not the uh, Fletcher Stewart and tar run that has her as the uh, hipster version of, of Batgirl. It's supposed to be that dark brooding version of Batgirl. Good. Yeah. We need more of that in the world. So here's the thing. When I read the entertainment weekly, I'm sitting here thinking one, if they knew this was true, why didn't they scoop variety in the first place? Um, but yet like hours after the fact, they suddenly have the scoop that it's going to be the new 52 version of the character. The second problem I have is I don't think anybody agrees that that was the best interpretation of Batgirl. Now I'm not saying that I want her to go full on, you know, uh, Burnside, you know, Burnside Batgirl mode. I don't want that necessarily, but I don't think that we, we should stay as far away from the Gail Simone as possible because it really like, I think the problem is that most likely what happened was somebody said, yes, she will have already been Oracle, but she'll go back to being Batgirl. And someone was like, well, that happened. That happened in the new 52. She went back to being Batgirl. And then they're like, Oh, that was by Gail Simone. Yeah. But the problem is that I think they're confusing. I think they're crossing some different lines here and saying that. She's going to have already been Oracle, but she'll go back to being Batgirl because she is able to regain her mobility and no longer be, you know, confined to a wheelchair. And that's why she becomes Batgirl again. Not let's use the Gail Simone run of Batgirl in the New 52 when she comes back to be not being paralyzed as the way to use it. So my thought is I'm fine with them going the route of she already was Batgirl, then she became uh, Oracle because she was paralyzed by the Joker. Fine. I'm sure if it's needed, they'll do some sort of weird flashback that shows something like that. But then she becomes Batgirl again for, you know, 
by whatever reason, hopefully they, if they explain it in the movie, they do a hell of a lot better job than Gail Simone did in her run. I'm fine with them using, you know, that idea of this, you know, the, the timeline of events, but I don't want Batgirl to be a female version of Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't want that at all. First of all, I don't think we were critical of Gail Simone's run. I think we were hostile towards yeah. Gail Simone's run. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am critical of other writers. I think we were hostile. Um, it's not the best version of the character. I can think of 30 better stories to do than that run. Just do us a solid. Go do Batgirl year one and just make that into a movie. We'll all be happier. You know, I get that you got to adapt it. I get you got to change some stuff. Or if you don't want to do that, do the Burnside Batgirl. In my opinion, I don't think we need in the movie universe. And I'm adamant about this. And I'm sure that I will be 100% wrong. We don't need the killing joke in the movie universe. I don't need to see that crap again. Just have her be Batgirl. And let's just not do the, the whole she was paralyzed thing. I'm serious. Just don't. I think the Burnside one would be smart. I think with Whedon directing it. You could aim that at the Hunger Games and Up crowd, adults obviously included. Um, I think that kind of trendy version of it would be something that could be really cool. But just have her be Batgirl. What I don't want to see is a movie where we get to get another Batgirl thing. Because I think think the killing joke has infected Batgirl and other media now. Where Mm -hmm. all all we get is... On the 1003 hash of how the killing joke ruined her life and how bad it was. So just let's not do that this time. That's my only thing I want to say. Yeah, I agree with that. And and that's my fear of, (laughs) you know, having the Oracle already established is that, well, you have to unestablish it and, and see how did that even happen. And I just feel like everyone keeps going back to that. And it's on top 10 lists of her history, even though it should just really stay to, you know, Joker. Uh, but gosh, I mean, it, it was the, the that moment was really uh, what caused everything to sort of snowball and, and go downhill. Um, so it, it's unfortunate that it is so tied and like, you you know, people are leading other people that aren't in the know to believe that that is a crucial uh, story to read potentially, whereas, you know, you could just allude that she was shot and then move on. I'm, I was super pumped. I mean, if you can imagine my Facebook and I think Twitter was blowing up. People kept posting on my wall and tagging me. And I thought, wow, look how important I am that they think of me when they think of Batgirl. So once I heard, I was super excited because I think, you know, as I imagined Wonder Woman would do, it's really paving the way, I think, for other female heroes to come to the big screen because I think, you know, in the past, in the early 2000s, we were a little burned with really poor adaptations of things. And I think of Elektra and Catwoman, that's what I'm looking at right there. So, yeah. So we've got Wonder Woman. Uh, we have Captain Marvel, which I have high expectations for. And so, yes, why not branch off now? And also have important female characters um, that might not be A-list. You know, it hurts me to say that. But, you know, not one that you would automatically think of. So I was super pumped. Then when the news started to trickle in that it was going to be more hard-edged, hard uh, Gail Simone's name was dropped. New 52 specifically tied with Gail Simone. I was starting to get a little nervous. Now, I have nothing personal against Gail Simone because I do think that she has uh, a greater understanding of who Barbara Gordon is more so than other people cough, cough. But 
But if we are looking at her new 52, I will say this, and this is, I don't like to do this, but I'll, I'll spell out my resume here. As someone who's been delving pretty deeply into Barbara Gordon's history for the past seven years, the new 52 is not a good picture of, nor a good characterization of who Barbara Gordon as a character is, whether of Oracle or Batgirl. And so I just feel like we, we don't need to go that route. I'm also there with Dustin that we don't need a female Batman. We don't need her to just basically be someone who's destroying people and branding people, but now a female in form. Well, I did actually enjoy the branding, as Donovan hates to hear, but I kind of thought that was fun. Um, <clears throat> it, it, it needs to be, as she is, a brighter area of that universe, uh, as she should be in the comics as well. And, you know, honestly, it's really quite easy, I see, to retell and reimagine the early 60s stuff, if you want to go back to the beginning. Of course, I would love to see Batgirl Year One, which is really a remodernization or a modernization and retelling of the 60s anyways. To put that to film, that's easy peasy. Um, perhaps leave the Oracle stuff for later. Why, you know, drop back and and why, why show everything right away when you could just start off from the beginning and go on? I mean, if you want to connect to this universe, how fun would it be to have Bruce Wayne, you know, get rescued by Barbara Gordon on his way to the the ball that, you know, how it all began? How amazing would it be to see Killer Moth on screen? And, of course, he's probably not going to wear the doopy outfit that he does, but you can certainly make it work. I mean, that'd be amazing. I feel like there's so much that you could do with that story that why not go there, Her the actual heart of the character? And we have a Commissioner Gordon now, too. So why not go there instead of, like, hopping right away to Oracle and everything? And, and we've already seen that the movie universe isn't necessarily tied with the film universe. Uh, I feel like they're two different ones. So I don't know why we're trying to base it off of the comics when uh, I think the movies can do their own thing. Yeah. It makes sense for them to do their own thing rather than just doing something that's an adaption of some of the other stuff. And I think what's, what's unfortunate back to the killing joke, which I know we don't actually want to spend that much time talking about. Unfortunately, the killing joke is going to go down as the, film that involves Batgirl the most but for uh, the wrong reasons when yeah. we should have gotten an adaption of Batgirl year one years and years ago I don't yeah. yeah but anyway so those are our comments for this episode uh, be sure to leave your comments on the website uh, below in the comment section for us to talk about on the next episode also this is the point in time when I tell you go over to Patreon and support us on Patreon, uh, Patreon. currently we're sitting at about $52 per month um, which is just about one fifth or one third of our monthly goal. Um, some of the things just to, just to give it, put it out there. Some of the things that I've said in the past that we're looking to do is we're looking to potentially uh, change up the release schedule for the comics um, or the comic podcast. That is where we post the comic podcast potentially sooner talking about books that just came out two days prior to 
the release of the comic cast, but that requires an audio editor that we would need to pay. So we would need money for that. So that is another reason why you could support us on Patreon. Also, we are, we still want to relaunch the Batman universe podcast, which we will also need an audio editor for, as well as a video editor for the new show that we plan to do on YouTube as well. Those things all cost money. Another thing that is way, way, way down the line that we want to do is uh, we want to revamp the entire website, uh, make it a little bit more modern and also a little bit more user-friendly, focusing on uh, different specific characters that are very popular in the Batman universe as well. Um, So those are different things that we have planned. Uh, We are also looking for contributors in a variety of different areas. So if you are unable to actually share your monetary donations with us, either via Patreon or giving us a direct donation via PayPal using the PayPal button on the website. We are also looking for people with skills such as audio editing, video editing. We are looking for a news writer specifically covering movies, TV and video games, as well as a, a news writer covering specifically merchandise And, of course, we're always looking for contributors, writing contributors, to cover a vast variety of different topics of of their choosing that all have to do with the Batman universe. Um, So if you are any of those people, please get in touch with us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we will try to figure out the best way to utilize your skills. In addition to that, be sure to check out the website for all this news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for all the news and videos from the Batman universe. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer as you're listening to this. They're the latest episode of Bat Books for Beginners is releasing uh, this coming Tuesday, which is Batman Hush Returns. <gasps> so we'll be checking that out. Um, in addition to that, there's new episodes of Batgirl Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves Drake, as well as Bat Fans and Bruce Wayne's World, all available on the website week in, week out. There's new episodes posting of all of your favorite Batman Universe podcasts. So be sure to check out all of those. So that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.